0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I'm your host, Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania, right near Philadelphia. And if you've listened to the podcast, which I hope some of you have, uh, we are—I've talked to someone from every single state, um, from Maine to Hawaii, Alaska to Florida, and Washington DC. All levels of government, from Congress and Senate to borough council, like myself, and school board. And my favorite people to talk to are state legislators, because they are the most important people. Um, No matter what party, they are not given enough credit for all the important things they do. And I'm excited to finally go back to Kentucky, um, another great commonwealth like Pennsylvania, right? And I am going to talk with my new best friend, one of many, um, Representative Sherilyn Stevenson, to talk about Kentucky and to talk about maybe why you should think about being involved in your local politics as well. Um, And we're not going to talk about the natural disasters in Kentucky because it's not necessarily her area much, but I do recommend, if you can, to Google, find areas to continue to donate to the people of Kentucky affected by recent storms. You know, we have to keep looking out for each other no matter what state, city, or town we're in. Um, And that's what Representative Stevenson does with her job. So thank you, Sherilyn, for talking today.
1: Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for encouraging folks to reach out for uh, my people.
0: Yes, your people are, you know, whether they're Democrats, Republicans, Independents, Whigs, um, they're still valuable people. And um, you've been one of them in the legislature for a bit. And I always ask people to start, have you always been politically minded? Or did some campaign or issue kind of spur you on not just to run for office, but to you know, take another step beyond just being a voter.
1: Yeah. So I, the answer is yes and no. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So I have always been interested in politics and was one of those people that mostly followed um, federal level politics. And I I found myself uh, really engrossed during um, the Obama years and um, was, was following politics Fairly closely. And then um, all of a sudden, we had a governor that was elected here. His name was Matt Bevan And he was elected in 2015. And then in 2016, uh, during that Trump wave, um, our state House Democrats lost control of our state house for the first time in 100 years. And the very first week of that first general assembly after that happened, um, was a huge wake up call to a lot of us. Um, you know, I had been to the women's March in Washington, DC and what came home pretty fired up anyway, determined that I was going to get involved. I was going to find a candidate to get behind and I was going to work for that candidate. And I was, um, you know, pretty excited about that and started following along uh, our our state level politics because someone had told me that that was probably um, the best place to focus my energy. And boy, were they right. And boy, um, had I been missing out, uh, you know, State level politics are, are the place where our lives are impacted the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and you cool. can take his case in a very short period of time. The General Assembly is either in for 30 days or 60 days, and we pass hundreds of bills. And um, your everyday life gets impacted at that state level um, legislature more than I think most people um, could ever dream. And that summer, uh, a, a good friend of mine happened to just post on Facebook one day, hey, who do I know that lives in the 88th house district for Kentucky? And I said, I do. And my phone almost immediately lit up with a text that said, Hey, do you want to run for office? And I said, Hey, are you smoking crack? <laughs> and She said, no, okay. seriously? <laughs> let's talk about this. And I was like, okay, I think you're crazy, but I will have a conversation. And that's kind of how it started for me. Um, you know, it took a long time for me to, to decide to really pull the trigger. My husband and I talked about this and thought about it for about three months and decided that we were going to take on an incumbent. And um, he had a lot of money in the bank, uh, had gone unchallenged the previous election cycle. And about three days before the filing deadline, he announced that he was not going to run again. So all of a sudden we had a real race on our hands and a... And a A real opportunity. I found myself in a three-way primary, won that with about 52% of the vote, and then went on to win the general by whopping 48 votes. I'm the first Democrat and the first woman to ever hold this seat. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty proud of that fact, and, um, but I find myself in a super-duper minority. So uh, a little bit frustrating, but I think that this office has proven to be just so helpful for my constituents on an individual basis, let alone the things that can be done for them at the legislative level.
0: Since you are the first Democrat and first woman to represent that part of Kentucky, there's all these um, political changes happening across the country. Like I'm in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania in 1990 was the only republican county for governor and now it's one of the most democratic counties is that what happening in your area where those democrats that lost after 100 years those districts have just steamrolled to one side and then some other areas may be more open to democrats and they had voted for republicans who may have been like mainstream uh i was we would call them here arlen specter republicans moderate kind of people and now there's no room for them anymore, and Democrats can kind of move into that vacuum.
1: Yeah, so that is a little bit what happened. So um, I am in the suburbs of our second largest urban area here in in Kentucky. So I am uh, in Lexington and um, Louisville, obviously being our, our largest urban center. And the the Democratic hold here has been growing exponentially. Mm-hmm. Um, the change that I've seen in my district just since I. Uh, started looking at this district in the first place. Um, um, but because of that, now that we're going through redistricting, um, it has not been pretty. And my uh, the 88th district <clears throat> looks very, very different now. Um, instead of it being mostly suburban neighborhoods, I have been drawn out into very rural areas and actually into another rural county. Um, so... You know, we're we're about to, to shift gears a little bit in in how we campaign. Um, we've been huge door knockers in the past, and the rural community is probably not going to be quite um, as easily walkable as we found ourselves in the past. Um, but the political climate has absolutely changed here, and it's interesting. Lexington has grown in population in the last ten years, and as it has done so, it has become more democratic. But amazingly. Um, In redistricting, we lost a representative and we for decades have had two wholly encompassed Senate seats and we lost one of those Mm -hmm. and we're down to one. So that, um, those maps have, uh, are in court as we speak. Um, the governor vetoed the House map in our congressional map this week, and uh, lawsuit has been filed. So I can't say a whole lot more about that. But, um, but yeah, the landscape has changed drastically here, and um, I found myself on the, on the winning side of that in 2018.
0: So it's interesting to me talking with so many people because I've grown up in politics now. I've been organizing and, or in office or doing something for over 20 years. And, you know, it seems like Democrats, not that suburban voters, I'm in a suburb, not that suburban voters are bad or aren't working class voters, but it was kind of like Democrats were the uh, party of Roosevelt, the, you know, go the rural or working class people. Um, right. Tim Ryan talks about the people that shower after work instead of before work. And I really appreciate that. Um, they're, they're, we want to win every kind of seat, but is there an issue or a concern about if we're pushing working class solutions being seen as the PhD party, as opposed to the eight, eight to five or, you know, uh, clock in and lunchbox party.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. You know, I, I do not hail from Lexington originally. Uh, I come from uh, the Eastern part of Kentucky down in the, the mountains. Um, you know, my dad worked in coal and uh, my mom was a teacher And growing up, we, everyone was registered as a Democrat. If Uh you wanted to have anything to do in local politics, you had to be registered as a Democrat because that was how the election was decided. Almost all of our elections were decided in a a primary, Um, you know, and we were Bill Clinton country. Uh It was unbelievable. And then in the blink of an eye, Hillary Clinton was one of the most hated people, um, you know, could have been on a, on a most wanted poster in my hometown, um, so it, it, it is disturbing to me, and um, it's also frustrating that we have not been able to find the right message um, to to let people know that you know we we are still the party um, of, of working people. We are the ones that really want to address those kitchen table issues that, that people talk about. We are for public education. We are for quality, affordable health care. And how that has gotten turned so completely upside down, um, you know, it's it really disheartening and it's disturbing and it makes me really sad. Um, you know, unions built this country and, um, you know, working people. Um, you know, unions are, are, are still uh, part of the backbone of uh, the Democratic Party. And, um, you know, there's some of my uh, biggest supporters and, and donors. And so how that has just gotten turned up on its head is, is beyond me.
0: Well, you talked about how you love going door knocking and I do too. And I am skeptical of anyone who runs for office and doesn't like doing it. Cause that's <laughs> the most important thing. Um, but when you're in a more urban or suburban area, it's easier to door knock. And you said when you add in those rural areas, it's harder to. Do you think that lack of voter outreach from other candidates, especially the people who represent those areas, creates like this vacuum of information with online, internet, like memes and conspiracies, or you know, cable news? I'm not even picking on anything in particular, but where people get their information is not from that one-to-one interaction as much. No. I-
1: You're probably right. Um, So part of my district, a a, a small part, but a part of my district is rural um, as the lines, uh, the way it's been for the last four years. Um, It's very rural. And, um, you know, for logistics sake, I was staying in a lot of the neighborhoods because I could get to more people in a shorter period of time. And obviously, Mm -hmm. as the candidate, you want to get to as many people as you can. Um, So my husband and my father they were our rural canvassers and they went out there and talked to a lot of people. And then I did a lot of follow-ups as, as people were like, well, you know, I would really like to talk to her herself. That was fine. I'd call them or I would Uh go back out there. Um, But we, we did end up having several of those people say, you know what, I will vote for you because you came to my house and asked me to. And that's something that people don't do. I mean, you know, we knocked on doors that, People said that nobody had knocked on their door in, you know, 20 years. So I think if you can get to those people, it is absolutely advantageous. Um, for me, there is absolutely nothing in a campaign that beats just having that one-on-one face-to-face conversation with people. Um, you know, and I think I think campaigns had changed as technology came around and, and it aided you to get to more people in just a few clicks. Yes, that was great but again, nothing replaces that, that handshake or that, that face-to-face conversation that you get to have with somebody, um, you know, standing on the sidewalk or at their front door. And I got very lucky. Um, A a big group of retired teachers actually found me. Um, I did not know any of them before I ran for office, but obviously public education has been a big, you know, a big deal, um, not only here, but across the United States. And so, and were going to work for me and as I asked them to canvas. They had never done that before. And um, you know, they're they're a great read of people, teachers. They they talk to people all the time. They they can um, they're great conversationalists and they just kind of know how to cut to the heart of the matter pretty quickly. And they were they just took that challenge on in such a great way and they were actually deep canvassing and had no idea what they were doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was really great. Um, you know, sometimes people would come back and they had hit just a lot of doors and sometimes they would come back and in, in two hours, they had maybe only gotten to five or six houses, but they were just having amazing conversations with people and it was really important. And I think one of the things that they did, in talking to people and to helping to educate people and was really talk about the vast difference between federal level and state level politics, which, you know, it, it is a really big deal. And so in that first election, we actually saw lots and lots of houses that had my yard sign next to, um, our Republican, uh, congressman. And, um, it was odd, but you know, they, they, they bought in and they checked it out for themselves and the story did check out that they were voting on two very different things when they pulled the lever for Congress or the level lever for me. And so, um, you know, I think that that's, that's the great part of canvassing. And I think that's a great part of getting out there and talking to people who don't talk to people from uh, different walks of life or across the aisle very often, you know, we've got to have those conversations and just connect with people one-on-one.
0: Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And I was just talking, I recorded a podcast with someone from the Outrun Coalition, and they have like outrun the top of the ticket, and they're going to more rural and small town places where they've had some pretty big wins. Do you think a lot of Democrats, uh, whether they're more conservative Democrats, whatever that means anymore, liberal Democrats, what, whatever their policies, do you think there's a big opportunity that they're missing because there's these districts that they're giving up on? that no one's going out at all from Republicans or Democrats that they're missing out on big opportunities to win.
1: Absolutely. You will have people here in our County at our, um, you know, at our, our local democratic party that say, you know, we had given up on the South side of of town or the South side. Um, you know, nobody had been running. We hadn't been over there knocking doors and you all proved us that we were very, very wrong in that. um, I had a a colleague who uh, ran at the same time in 2018 and she was running for a state Senate. And a lot of our houses, a lot of the precincts overlapped. And so we shared volunteers and they actually carried um, literature for both of us. And she almost beat a 24 year incumbent. And she came within about 700 votes of of doing so. Um, And, and again, so she was, was, most of my district and then some um, as a senatorial candidate and um, and really people were just amazed because they just had not invested the kind of time in our part of our county um, like we did like our volunteers did um, for me alone not counting what her volunteers did for me and um, what we were keeping track of we did 24,000 doors so wow. with her volunteers we did a lot more than that and, um, you know, and so we were able to flip this seat and made huge gains um, in, in her district. And and I think that it was really a huge wake-up call, not only to our county, but then surrounding counties that were watching what was happening. And that, you know, hey, if, if we really do make an investment in this manner, in this area, um, you know, we can make really strong gains.
0: So the one thing you have at your top issue that I guess resonated and from, even from far away here in, in Pennsylvania, I've seen that it did re- resonate in uh, those campaigns for, for governor and other things is education, like you said. Yeah. Um Now, some of those issues are have changed in the last couple of years from when you first yeah. started running. But what is the um, the big thing that's most important for education that you can address as a state legislator in Kentucky? And, you know, have you been able to make a difference with you and the new governor, new-ish governor?
1: Um, sure. <laughs> Well, there have been some some great things um, that have happened, um, particularly when at the start of the pandemic, um, we were able to do a lot of things. And then, uh, unfortunately, our state legislature um, stepped up. And then as soon as we were back in session, um, we stripped our governor of a lot of his emergency powers. And so a lot of the things that he had been able to do via executive order within our schools came to a halt. Um, but, but we have pushed back. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of talk of, uh, stripping pensions, um, mm. from teachers and that, uh, did not happen. There was a, a lot of talk of, um, teachers who, ret- who were retired, but not yet, um, eligible for Medicare, not paying their medical premiums. Um, and we were able to, to, to fight that off. Um, unfortunately, we were we were unable to fight off uh, n- new teacher new teacher retirement. So new teachers um, are kind of in a in a hybrid plan now, and they don't um, have a, a pension. You know, Kentucky is one of the states where our teachers do not get Social Security, so that pension is all that they have. Um, and so that that is troubling. We we need to be able to find things um, that will attract and retain the best and the brightest for our students, um, and as it benefits our society as a whole. And so we've been able to hold off some things. I'm not sure, unfortunately, how much longer we'll be able to, to hold those off. But I think that we have at least been able to slow some things down.
0: What do you think is the main driver of these things with education? Like, for me, from one thing I've noticed, there's a lot of legislators, and it's not just uh, from one party, but people who um, they don't have a connection to the schools because they don't have kids in schools. And that doesn't mean they're bad people, just like maybe they don't have a connection there. Maybe they don't see the value in public education or uh, is it cultural? What Do you think that there's something you can push back on, whether as a, legislature, um, a legislator or as a community member, to say, no, because clearly it worked for you, right? It resonated with you talking to people. So what's the best way?
1: It it did. And I, you know, I think that there's just, there's a huge push to privatize education. Um, And I think that's, it's not singular here in Kentucky. It's, we're seeing it all over the United States. Um, And I think that it's, it's unfortunate. So I am one of those people. I do not have, uh, I do not have children. So I do not have children in the, in the public school system. But again, my mother was a teacher and a lot of my friends and family members are teachers, however. And so I have been able to, you know, to stay connected in, in that manner. Um, as a legislator, I try to get into the schools absolutely as much as I can. Obviously COVID has slowed that down a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, but, you know, I, I think a public education benefits us as, as a society, as a whole, you know, I mean, I mean, it's not just about educating kids. It's We need our citizens to be educated and then we need them to grow up and be, um, you know, our next generation of uh, firefighters and doctors and nurses and all of that. But we need them to be productive members of society. We need them to grow up and have great jobs and pay their taxes. So, you know, it just, so we just keep existing and, and keep going on. And so I think I think it's just trying to help people, you know, um wake back up to that. I'm I, as you said, things have changed so drastically when I first got involved, it was, you know, it was about teacher pensions and and through the pandemic we have seen um you know, the arguing about masks and about um, being in school, whether they're doing NTI or not NTI and now CRT has entered the question and um it, it is changing and I think that um, I think it's a really great distraction from other things that are happening um, in, in the legislatures. And I think that, you know, it's just another way to keep voters riled up. Um, I I think many things, I don't want to say they get, they're invented, but um, you know, it, it, it gets thrown out there and, and politicians see that, that, that it's a point that, that people, um, grab onto. And I mean, and what's more personal than your kids, right? So if you can work people up into a frenzy over their kids, then you're going to keep them, you know, kind of keep them riled up. And then, um, you know, you can, convince them to vote for you based on that single issue. So I I, I, I think, um, a lot of it is by design, um, for those very issues, unfortunately. Um, but I think a lot of that then comes right back to, um, the ability to, to privatize those things and who can, who can get rich and who can stay in power because of those things, right? It all comes back to money and power, unfortunately.
0: So a lot of people, whether they're in office or in power in other ways, are pushing these cultural things and that they're, they're not necessarily sincere at one level or another in doing that. They're, they have a motive for privatizing, getting more money for other things, et cetera.
1: Yes. That is a much more succinct way to say what I just rambled on for five
0: minutes. No, 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 what yeah. you said made a lot of sense. And it's, it's very frustrating because I have kids in school. And yeah. even if you don't, like you said, your the school is important to your community. It doesn't.
1: Yes. Um, and, you know, and I think it's, it's unfortunate. Um, everything that we have put on schools you know, we expect them to be um, a community center now. Mm-hmm. The The family resource center, um, you know, provides food for them when, when there's no food in the house. Um, you know, I know that some of our family resource centers will pay um, for electrical bills in the winter if the family is struggling so that heat can stay in that family. There's washers and dryers in the family resource centers if they need to come and do laundry. Um, you know, and I think that that's something that a lot of people don't understand is the things that we have asked teachers and schools to step up to do that fill basic needs. Um, you know, so we, we want to talk a lot about performance-based education and and what's getting going on, and there's these high-stake tests, but if you have students coming to school and they're Bellies rumbling because they're hungry. They haven't slept well because they don't have a bed at home to sleep in, or there was no heat in their house and they were cold all night, or they had to walk to school and they didn't have the proper shoes and now their feet are wet and they're cold and they didn't have a coat. You know, um, I, I think that we have just put so much into these, these schools and so much on them and the expectations are so high for them. Um, and the thing is, they keep meeting those demands. They rise to the occasion every time, every time that we as a society say, hey, you know, this is a need. We, need. we need somebody to fill it. Hey, schools, why don't you do that too? They do it every time. And they're doing this and they're doing this to pure exhaustion. And then they turn around and, you know, the legislature is just beating them down every chance that they get. Um, and it's really unfortunate and it's frustrating.
0: Yeah, and it's frustrating to you without having to deal with those realities in the same way that they do, yeah. and it's an, an empathetic way. Yeah. Um, and you said the expectations um, also in terms of what people expect from their legislature. And you said, you know, you're, whether you getting into it or others um, who are volunteering or putting signs up, they, they conflate uh, pre- the president and they conflate state legislatures and Congress what do you think that's anybody smart, you know, whatever you want to call people, what do you think people don't get when it comes to politics after your experience here in terms of like, they turn on the news, they think politics is one thing. What do you think people are missing when it comes to state versus everything else?
1: Well, you know, we can turn on the news 24 seven and find out what's going on in Washington. Um, You know, you can turn on your local news and look in your local newspaper and find out what's going on in your County or your city. Um, But I think, you know, the onus is on each individual really to kind of keep up with what's happening in their state legislature. And uh, we have a few people that are really good at that, but we do not have nearly enough people that are really good at that. And so they go to the ballot box and they vote for, um, you know, state level politicians based on federal level issues. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're talking about guns and abortion and, um, and, and your daily life is affected so much more um, at the state level. Things in, in, in Washington move at, at a glacial pace, and things move very, very quickly um, at the state level. You know, um, a bill can be introduced and from, from being filed to being signed by the governor in five days. Uh-huh. Um, you know, so I, I think it's just something, and again, it's 30 or 60 days. We do, we do 60 days here every other year, um, when we do our biennial budget. Um, but you know, it's a very short amount of time that you have to pay attention, um, and, and, um, drastic things are happening. Now we do pass hundreds of bills and the large majority of those, um, are probably, Bipartisan things that pass through our hundred seat house with a vote of, you know, 96 or 97 to, to one or two. And it's those only those really controversial things that kind of make the news and people start paying attention a a, a little bit to that. But, you know, I have currently um, about 47,000 voters and, I maybe hear consistently from a thousand people.
0: Oh, that's actually pretty high. I think it
1: is pretty high. And I will say that I have one of the, the highest um, populations of college educated um, voters in in my district. Um, so I'm lucky in the, in that manner that, uh, that they, um, you know, that, that they're educated and they're paying attention to what's happening. Um, but I want to hear from more of them. I, you know, I, I really want to know. We have um, an 800 number where people can call. It's the, med, the legislative message line. And folks can call in and say, um, you know, once they call in the very first time, the computer will recognize them every other time that they call in. And it will automatically pop up who their state senator and who their state representative are. And you can say, hey, I want to send a message to my state rep to say, you know, vote no on House Bill 100. That's, and that's all you have to do i mean it can be absolutely that fast um and i get a little green slip of paper that that tells me that um you know and, and, and emails send emails and so it, it's unfortunate that it takes something really drastic to make um a group of people pay attention um you know i just i just wish that that folks would would start paying attention we have wonderful through our our public broadcast system here um our KDT, Kentucky Educational Television, um, every Monday night and every Friday night at eight o'clock, there's a, a TV show and they talk uh, extensively about what has happened in the state legislature um, that week and, and everything that's going on. And I'm like, it's free TV, people. Watch this. So, um, you know, there are ways out there for people to stay, uh, stay involved and know what's going on. And so that is part of my platform. Everywhere I go, I just try to to get more people involved in the process, try to get people to start educating themselves on the issues that are, you know, impacting our state and impacting what's going on. Um, And just try to get them to to start paying, you know, more attention. I mean, yes, I I am not downplaying the things that happened in Washington DC whatsoever in any shape, way or form. They're, they're huge. They're massive. They're big things. But again, we find ourselves talking about those same issues over and over and over. It seems that sometimes there's just no progress there and things happen very, very quickly at the state level.
0: And your state legislator is very approachable no matter almost no matter who they are. They see me
1: at the grocery store. They see me, you know, checking my mail. They see me buying my cat food at Petsmart. Um, you know, they run into me everywhere. Um you know, I'm not a wealthy person. My husband and I live in a neighborhood. They can come knock on my door, sit on my patio. Um, you know, very, very approachable. Very, um, you know, I, I give out my cell phone number everywhere I go. It's, mm-hmm. you know, people can call or text me anytime. Um, you know, I can find myself talking to uh, a constituent on Facebook Messenger at midnight some night. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and I think a lot of people don't don't realize that.
0: Yeah. And I think with the way society is now, everyone's kind of afraid to reach out because things are so passive in communications with social media, et cetera, or distant in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, I think so. And, and, you know, I have a legislative assistant, but I, I share her with two other legislators. Um, you know, I think people look at us and they think that we are in this big fancy office, um, you know, like the people in Washington and we have this huge staff, but, um, no, it's, it's, it's just me and a, basically a third of a person. So, you know, I'm an everyday person. And that's something that I try to tell, you know, I think everyday citizens deserve to be represented by everyday citizens. And um, so I, I would love it if more people would contact me and we could talk about these issues, um, because that means that, you know, I'm educating them and hopefully they're going to start paying more attention to what's going on and that they'll keep paying attention long after I'm gone.
0: And maybe they'll run for office, too, which brings me absolutely. to the theme of the podcast with all that said. Um, you know, you were asked to run for office, and I think yeah. you would rather people do it without needing to be prodded, right? So absolutely, th- as you've described, it is not necessarily a very convenient job time-wise. It's not a glamorous job. And it's not just for you, but for most state legislatures in the country. Um, it's yep. not a glamorous job. Um, if you go into it on a state level, you're probably not becoming wealthy as a result. Um, you know, so it's it's not, it is a sacrifice for a human being, no matter if you're Republican, Democrat, Independent. With all that being said, and the frustrations you feel with politics, how and why would you encourage others to step up and run for office, um, especially in Kentucky, especially for state legislatures?
1: well as frustrating as it is um it is absolutely rewarding and in all the same um uh, you know i mentioned briefly earlier there are so many things um that i can do for constituents we have a wonderful wonderful um that that i can turn to um and it's just called constituent services so um uh, you know People call in, have a problem, reach out. We might be able to help you. I might be able to connect you to resources that can help you. And and when I can do that and help people, you know, during the pandemic, obviously people were having a lot of trouble accessing their unemployment. And we were able to to help get them connected and, um, and, and get their issues solved. Um, and that kind of stuff was really rewarding. You know, I have spent my entire adult life working in the arena of just trying to help people and, and trying to lift up my community and and be a productive part of uh, society. And I feel like this was just kind of the next logical step. Um, I think more people need to do it. I think, uh, you know, I kind of look at it a little bit like jury duty. It's Mm -hmm. kind of our obligation to step up and serve our community, um, in, in a myriad of ways. And this is just one more way that I could do that. Um, I have made some of the best friends that I will probably ever, ever make. Um, we giggle sometimes and we talk about how, you know, bonded soldiers are when they come back from war. And that's sometimes how we feel with my colleagues. Um, you know, I've just, I've made tremendous friends and it, and it, it is rewarding. And it's such a great way to just meet new people, people that are your neighbors that you never knew. Um, you know, it, it it can be, lot of fun not every day is awful um although there there are the share of those awful days It's been just a really rewarding experience and um like I said I've I've made so many friends and met so many people and have been able to step up and serve people in such a great way um and, and we just we need more everyday people you know um the legislature here in Kentucky is kind of set up. It it doesn't pay a lot. We're considered part-time and this is not a part-time job. Um, but you know, it's kind of set up in a way that retired people or people who aren't the breadwinners of their family or are independently wealthy, um, are put in the best position to serve. And I hate that it's like that. And I wish it could be different. Um, But I, but I do believe that people need to step up. I have lots of friends that are serving and that, you know, they, they own a small business or, um, they're an attorney. Um, I serve with a teacher, you know, there, there are, there are ways to do this job and hold other jobs too. And, um, it just, it just needs to be done. We need people there from all walks of life and all experience levels. Um, You know, to to come to the table and and really talk about these issues and try to try to solve big problems.
0: Well, I appreciate that you're trying to solve big problems in every every way you can. Uh, And again, if you're listening and you're not from Kentucky, there's still you can um, help the people of Kentucky with the storms. I think it's important to keep on top of that. Um, But it's also people want to get in touch with you on social media, as I did, what are the best ways for people to follow you and learn more and maybe uh, get engaged?
1: Um, well, on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and IG, I am Sherilyn4ky, so that's C H E R L Y N um, N F O R K Y. You know, follow me, shoot me a DM. Um, my website is SherilynStevenson.com, um, and you can find a way to email me on there. and It's just Sherilyn at SherilynStevenson.com. You know, feel free to reach out if somebody is. You know, if you think that you have the bug and you would like to maybe run for office, but you just don't know where to start, reach out. I'll be more than happy to talk to you. I'll be more than happy to give you, you know, a, a real look at what it looks like to, to run a campaign. If you're close enough, come down. I'll teach you how to canvas. Um, you know, we we need more people to step up. We need uh, more people of color to step up. We need more women to step up. Um you know and and it's it's not a lifetime sentence <laughs> you know um you can get into it serve for a few years and then let somebody else have their turn so um but it might be something that you find that you love and um you love serving your people and you you want to just keep doing that over and over or you know you may want to climb the ladder who knows um you know you might be president one day
0: you might be you never know joe biden served in local office harry reid served in a small town and he became Senate majority leader. So everything's a start. Um, And I think one of the best ways people can start getting involved is by following Sherilyn on on social media, Sherilyn4KY. Um, Thank you so much. And best of luck in Kentucky. I think you have a good future ahead of you.
1: Oh, well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me.